Hello and welcome to Dragon Bites, the paediatric podcast aimed at paediatric trainees and anyone interested in child health. I'm Asim, I'm one of the paediatric trainees in Wales and I'm one of the presenters for Dragon Bites. Yet again, apologies for being off the airway for so long. Uh, we've had a break over summer, we're back again this autumn and we're going to basically be trying to run this non-stop now for the next couple of months with lots of episodes recorded. So let's get things kicked off. This episode, our Dragon Bites host is going to be Sean Williams. Some of you may remember her from our very first episode, perhaps, or maybe second, but she's rejoined the team and she's going to be having a chat with one of our pharmacists in the University Hospital of Wales, Tom Wiley, who's a pharmacist who specialises in neonates and in antibiotic prescribing. So he's going to be discussing pharmacology with us, particularly around antibiotics around our neonatal population. This is a part one of a two-part episode, so let's get started. Um, hi everyone and welcome to Dragon Bites. I'm Asim and I'm going to be uh, helping to host today's episode. We've actually got a new host who's joining us on the Dragon Bites team who's going to be taking the lead on this. So I'm going to hand over and introduce Sean Williams. Hi Sean. Hello, I'm Sean. I'm another paediatric registrar and I've got some big shoes to fill I think. So I'll give it a go. <laughs> I'm sure you're <laughs> going to be fat. I don't really think it's going to be a problem. So uh, some of you might recognise Sean's voice from before, because she actually did a couple of our very first podcasts when we initially launched Dragon Bikes, mm. and now she's... One of the founding mothers. She is one of the founding mothers, <laughs> that's how I've always thought of you. <laughs> and today our guest is Tom Wiley, who's one of our neonatal pharmacists. Hi Tom. Hi there. Hi. So from what I understand, what we're hoping to talk to, about today is um, prescribing in neonates with kind of a focus on antibiotic prescribing. Yeah, we'll, we'll have a look at uh, some of the antibiotics that we use in neonates uh, and then have a look at some neonatal pharmacokinetics and how that affects some of the antibiotics and maybe look at um, how neonates are maybe different from older children in that. Yeah, perfect. Amazing. Right, I'm going to hand over to Sean. Take it away. Awesome. Well, thanks, Tom. So, should we start with just finding out a little bit about you? Can you tell us a bit about your career so far? And why pharmacy? Yeah, sure. Um, so, hi all. I'm uh, I'm Tom. I'm a specialist uh, pharmacist for neonates and metabolic disease um, here in UHW in Cardiff. Um, so, I originally got into pharmacy because I liked science. I wanted to do something to help people, um, and I didn't really like the sight of blood, so I couldn't really, <laughs> didn't really want to be a doctor. So I was kind of, what shall I do? And I thought I might um, do something based on chemistry and things like that. I thought I might go into be in a lab somewhere. Um, so I, I, I did pharmacy, and then as I've just kind of gone through my degree and then pre-registration, um, I realised how much I enjoyed the clinical side of pharmacy, um, and so I, I got into. Um, Pediatrics, which um, I've just really enjoyed. Everyone seems friendly. <laughs> the ward teams are really nice, um, and uh, yeah, that's that's been a really nice place to work. And then I, uh, again, slightly fell into into neonates as well. I, I did a rotation um, in neonates uh, when I was training up in Nottingham, and then um, later on, uh, then an opportunity came up to go into neonates here in Cardiff. 
um, which was actually, I literally just had, I've got three kids and the older two uh, were premature twins who'd been on the unit here for a month and then uh, a month later after they'd gone home I was the pharmacist there and I've, I've pretty much been there ever since. So. Um, so yeah, so that gives me a slightly different perspective as well. But I, I do, uh, I really enjoy neonates as a um, as a challenge in pharmacy because it's it's very clinical, but it's also very technical. I get involved with uh, the PN and um, other things in terms of compatibility and things like that. Um, and yeah, it's it's just something that really uh, ticks quite a few boxes for a for a pharmacist to kind of get really involved in the in the MDT. Yeah, I I, so I hadn't realised that you were also involved in the metabolic side as well. How did that come to be? Um, yeah, that was I mean, that was slightly tacked on the side of my job when I when I started. <laughs> just uh, a small ad. So so yeah, so that's just twenty uh, percent of my time. That's um, uh, I'm part of the uh, MDT for the All Wales uh, Inherited Met Metabolic Disease Service, um, and. That's been really interesting, very steep learning curve, yeah. lots of uh, very um, niche diseases that I end up googling the first time, <laughs> first time to see what's uh, what's going on. But I don't think you're alone there when it comes to metabolic diseases. No, no. Do you have an encyclopedic knowledge of all eponymous syndromes? No, no, not since, not since, not since um, I haven't had Graham to oversee me and tell me about them all. Uh, yeah, so so yes, I was on the, the team with Graham mm. uh, before he retired and um, yeah, I, I really enjoy that, that part of my job as well. That's um, very interesting, certainly yeah. new things all the time. Something to get your teeth into. Definitely, yeah. I suppose it does tie in a fair bit with neonates. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, particularly kind of early pre presentations. So, um, yeah, things like metabolic emergencies, urea cycle disorders, those those kinds of things. Lots of lots of things in um, well, yeah, lots of things in paediatrics generally that that um, present in the metabolic diseases that present in the paediatric uh, population. So, yeah, it's it's. Really interesting. Wow, yeah. fascinating. Oh, we've, we've learned quite a bit about you too. <laughs> yeah. We didn't know you, Tom. Yeah. I was like, oh, I'll just invite my friend Tom along. And now it's like all these things <laughs> that I didn't know. Who <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so we mentioned how we're going to focus a bit on antibiotics today. Um, could you just recap um, for us some of the antibiotic classes um, and which ones we tend to use in paediatrics and neonates? Um, yeah, sure. So um, I'm just going to kind of go through um, in neonates what we're kind of treating for. We tend to uh, break down um, sepsis into early onset sepsis and late onset sepsis in, yeah. in neonates. So early onset sepsis would be anything in the first 72 hours. Um, and that's you're, you're trying to cover for um, group B streptococcus. That's particularly um, one of them. Um, and so we would use uh, for that we'd use benzoyl penicillin mm. um, and then the other thing is gram-negative bacteria like E. coli so that would be gentamicin mm. um, that we'd use for that so um, those two organisms together make up about 70% of the infections that you see in, in the early onset kind of period um, and then in the later onset so after 72 hours then we'd switch the benzoyl penicillin for Flucloxacillin because you're more likely to be wanting to treat maybe a Staphylococcus, mm. um, uh, and so because it's more likely to maybe come from the environment like the skin or somewhere, yeah. um, and then if you want to 
treat other uh, things like maybe meningitis, you might add a, a third generation cephalosporin like cefotaxime mm-hmm. um, for the um, for penetration through the blood vein barrier. Um, if you've got any kind of involvement with the GI tract, then you might want to think about adding cover for anaerobes. So you want something like metronidazole. Mm-hmm. Um, and if, if it's maybe a hospital inquired infect, acquired infection or um, you've got uh, you know, a long line in situ, then you would use vancomycin to cover for coagulase ne- negative staphylococci, so mm-hmm. Kong's infections. Um, if, if they're coming, if a bit later and they're coming in from the community, then you um, might want to cover for, um, well, you might want to use keftriaxone. Um, and if they're less than three months old, then you'd use high dose amoxicillin to cover yeah. for listeria, mm. for listeria or meningitis. Um, so those are all the ones that are kind of commonest in the neonatal period. Mm. Okay. And um, forgive me for asking this, but why would you ask? Why would you use a second generation or a third generation cephalosporin? When do you choose which one? So, so they've they've got diff- they're totally different drugs in some yeah. ways. The first, second, and third, mm. and indeed fourth and fifth generation yeah. cephalosporin, um, and so they've got different spectrum of activity. Yeah. Um, one of the things to be aware of is just saying kef which some yes. sometimes it's it's shortened to kef yeah um kef and met being uh, the one yeah, drug well, yes exactly <laughs> it's, it's not one drug well kef and met started <laughs> off as kefredine and matronidazole but now we, we don't use kefredine anymore mm. um but I, I i did actually look up and there are 27 different kefs at the last count <laughs> um not all of them available necessarily in this country and certainly not all would be available everywhere but um, it's really important to actually state what you want and not just yeah. kef because it's because they're different and you know kefotaxine, keftriaxone, they're all different things. Yeah, well, we've heard that so many times, haven't we? When people just say, "Oh, could you just go and prescribe the kef?" So again, yeah, yeah, I'm afraid. To I mean, I, yeah, I'm I'm as bad as anyone at, at um, you know Ben Pen and Gent and yeah. Vank. And things, yeah. but I do try and not say care because it, 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 <laughs> it doesn't help. It doesn't narrow it down. No. I, I was on the phone with this is a complete aside. I was on the phone with a microbiologist a while ago because we had someone who'd come in multiple drug resistances, and I think they recommended. I think it was either fourth or fifth generation kef, and then they said how much it costs. And it costs a fortune because it's it's such a novel drug, mm-hmm. and it's it's interesting to think that cephalosporins are going through so many generations. They're one of our last bastions against these multiple resistant organisms we've got going on at the moment. Yeah, well, there's the keftazidine avibactam, which is a bit like tazacin. It's got the it's got the the, the two different parts to it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's one of the um, one of the ones that we reserve for the really serious infections that we can't treat with anything else. Yeah. So. Oh gosh. So wow. be really careful with your calf choice. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, so you've mentioned some drugs that are commonly used in neonates. Um, are there certain antibiotics that should be used with particular caution? Um, you know, when we're thinking about monitoring and doses and that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I mean, firstly, there's there's some antibiotics that sh- shouldn't be used in children, or or um, should certainly be used in uh, with caution, so um, fluoroquinolones, so the most common is ciprofloxacin, mm. um, can cause tendonitis and tendon rupture, um, and so that's only that's not to be used in mild and moderate infections. So that would only be if you've got no other option, really. 
Um, and uh, that can also uh, cause problems with seizure control as well in patients who uh, are prone to seizures or, or it's even sometimes in, in patients who, who are not. So um, that's something that we would um, try and avoid if we can. And then in terms of um, more monitoring, um, you're probably so we're talking about therapeutic drug monitoring. Um, that would be so in general you can use it for any drug that um, has a narrow therapeutic window. So that's where um, the difference between a dose that is under you are under treating and um, maybe going toxic is quite quite small. Mm. Um, and obviously if there's a test available for it. So for our purposes, we're probably thinking particularly of gentamicin and vancomycin mm. in this situation. Um, so it, it's worth saying that they, they sound very similar, but they're actually different mm. from different classes of antibiotics. And what you're looking at in monitoring them is actually quite different. Um, so gentamicin is, a, is an aminoglycoside, and anything I say about gentamicin is probably sim similar for amikacin and things I've not got as much experience with amikacin but I know some places do use that yeah. in terms of if there's different resistance profiles. Um, I think what I'd say with anything where you're doing levels it's really important to know why you're doing the level yeah. and what you're looking for um, and so then that helps you with say if the level is late or if you forget to do a level mm. what, what your response should be after that um, and it also helps to think about the pharmacokinetics. So um, if, if I can have a mental whiteboard of, of, where, of a drug curve, mm. um, uh, you know, the, the kind of um, the graph that shows um, your drug concentration against time. Mm. Um, and when you give, um, when you give a drug, um, these would be IV and the, the line would go up pretty yeah. quickly, yeah. Um, up to a peak, um, and then it would come down um, much more slowly and that depends on the particular half-life of the drug in that, that patient at that time um, and when you look at that graph um, how the antibiotic works um, is different for for each one in terms of what will m make it kind of work optimally so something like a, a penicillin um, the way that works is the time above a certain concentration that kills the bacteria, so that's called the uh, minimum inhibitory concentration, so the MIC. Mm -hmm. So if you imagine just a dotted line across, it's, uh, it's however long the, um, the drug line is above that line. Mm -hmm. um, and so you give more doses to keep it above that line. Mm -hmm. um, gentamicin is a bit different, so that the bacterial killing effect of gentamicin depends on the, the peak that it reaches. So um, and that disrupts the ability of the bacteria to synthesize its proteins and that is quite a prolonged effect then. Mm. So um, what we do is, is we, we give a, a, a large-ish dose of gentamicin and then just wait for the body to clear it and then what you're checking with your pre-dose level, your level before you give the next dose, is that that patient has been able to clear it properly. Mm. And what you don't want to do is continue to give doses when they're not clearing it properly because there's risks of side effects like uh, nephrotoxicity and autotoxicity, so irre irreversible hearing damage, mm -hmm. things like that. Um, and so you know, you know that you've given enough to do the job, you just want to make sure the patient's cleared it. Mm -hmm. um, whereas vancomycin is a bit different because the way that that works 
is that um, it's kind of it's both to do with the concentration that it reaches and also the time above a certain concentration. So on the on the imaginary drug curve, um, it's to do with the area under the curve. So um, what we do then is with a when you're taking a, a snapshot of a level, um, that's just kind of a proxy measure of the area under the curve. It's not an exact okay. um, yeah. measure. Um, and you're you're making sure that the level is neither too high mm. nor too low um, and so if, if it's low you want to increase it and mm. if it's high you want to decrease the total daily dose that you're giving mm. um, and that that really um, it should be that if you um, raise the dose by 10% that the level goes up by 10% mm. I find that neonates don't tend to know that, no. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, they haven't learned that yet. Um, that, that, yeah, it works better in older <laughs> children and adults, but um, yes, so so it's not, there's a little bit of art to it as well, mm. and knowing that maybe the level will continue rising after you've, after you've taken that, that mm. uh, level. But yes, it's, it's um, trying to work out what daily dose you want and putting that up either by increasing the level, uh, increasing the dose that you're giving or um, decreasing the duration between the doses. Mm. Um, and the same if it's a high level, so uh, lots of places will um, advise to uh, increase the uh, time between the doses mm. and that just basically gives you a lower daily dose. So yeah. over the day you will get less. So if you go from a three times a day to a twice a day, that's cutting the dose by a third. Mm. I guess it's probably worth mentioning that every health board or, or trust that you work in will have their own guidance on that. So here we've got the micro guide, which I think mm. exists. Wales wide? Wales wide? Yeah. And maybe UK wide, I don't know. I, I think the app is yeah. UK wide, yeah, but yes. I think each individual trust, trust or health board yeah. can, can upload their own guidance yes. to it. Yeah, yeah. and so, it's always worth referring to that, isn't it? Yeah, but that's really helpful actually. That's given me a really nice mental model. I like the um, mental image. I like the the whiteboard in my head, and the sort of thinking about the bend pen and the peaks, and then the air under the curve, the back of my sin. Um, but it, that sort of brings me nicely onto my next question, which is why do dosing intervals change with age? Um, so, if so, something like gentamicin. Um, that is given every 36 hours in the first seven days of yeah. life and then it goes to every 24 hours mm. um, and similarly with uh, so lots of penicillins will change over the first um, yeah over the first month of life yeah. mm. um, and and that is um, that kind of comes into the pharmacokinetic side of it yeah. um, generally neonates have poorer renal renal functional um, excretion yeah. um, over the first week or so of life certainly the first couple of days they might um, not diaries for the first couple of days and that is the BNF or that whichever formula it is trying to um, kind of take the work out of you having to think about what the pharmacokinetics is doing and doing it for you and saying oh well you might want to give less for the first first couple of weeks mm -hmm. um, and as, as you said that with penicillins being above a certain concentration if it's taking longer to clear yeah. then you don't need as many 
doses in the day because you just need to, it to be above a certain minimum level. Um, and then with gentamicin, again, you want to make sure they clear it. So you're waiting longer in the first few days, uh, first week of life, 36 hours to make sure that they clear it. And if, if the level is high with gentamicin, the answer is always, well, wait longer. Mm. Just hold the dose for longer. Hold the dose until the level is Which makes right sense, down. Doesn't it? Yeah. Mm. yeah. Yeah. All right. Okay. So you've mentioned about the renal function in neonates. Are there any other key pharmacokinetic factors to consider? Pharmacokinetic yeah. and pharmacodynamics. In fact, whilst we're here, do you mind just reminding me of the definitions of the two? Because <laughs> <laughs> I know that's an exam favourite. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that was also another complete tangent. That was also my Viva question <laughs> during my. I wasn't meant to talk about this, but during my degree in pharmacy, um, I was getting vivid as to whether I'd get... some secret other life. My secret other life, it's going to get edited out of this. But, but I was getting vivid on whether I get a 2-1 or a first. Yeah. And I, I didn't realise, I thought I was getting vivid as to whether I fail. And then I, I showed up and, the, and they were like, oh, so we just, you know, you, and then they explained, oh, you can either get a 2-1 or you're going to get a first. And that's what we're going to sit down here with you about. And then the external examiner came in and they started asking me questions. And then the question it all hinged on, they were like, oh, I asked him. So can you explain to me, just in sim the simplest terms possible, what's the difference between pharmacodynamics and pharmacokinetics? I think that was lecture one, year one like of the what, pharmacy what degree. Like what the drug does to the body versus what the body does to the drug. Word for word what I said for my answer. And they were like, oh, you seem to... And, and, first in pharmacy. And on uh, first in pharmacy. And on top of that, that's four years, but that is literally. <laughs> yeah. And on top of that, I'm not entirely convinced I told them which way around those two were. <laughs> but they were like, "Oh, you seem to know what you're talking about," and then and then let me through. Turns out, if you say anything with a smile, yeah, if you if you're charming, doesn't work for podcasting. Doesn't though. work. Everybody for can podcast. see the smile. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, sorry, we'll get back to it. Do you want to carry on with your question? Sorry, so we've had a small tangent, but yes, <laughs> pharmacokinetic factors to consider in neonates, but also, what is the difference between pharmacokinetics and pharmacodynamics? So, in summary, pharmacokinetics is what the body does to the drug, yeah. and pharmacodynamics is what the drug does to the body. Yeah. Or another way of thinking of it is pharmacokinetics determines when you've given a dose, how much what the concentration of drug at the site that you want it to be. Yeah. And then the pharmacodynamics is then what that effect of that concentration of the drug at the right site okay. then affects. Yeah. So pharmacokinetics, we can break down into, usually into the ADMI, administration, distribution, metabolism, and then elimination or excretion. Ah, fabulous. Um, I love an acronym. So, so yeah, so, and then pharmacodynamics is a little bit more difficult to test because, um, I mean, so in, in neonates, um, we're often using drugs that you can see whether they work or not. If you mm. use an inotrope and the blood pressure doesn't go up, then you, you it's, it's not working. Mm. Um, or we're using drugs that it's very difficult to see the long-term if you're using, you know, if you're giving extra vitamin D to try and prevent metabolic bone disease, it's very difficult to tell whether that's whether that's worked. Certainly in the short term. Um, so just to go through the that acronym. So it, in terms of pharmacokinetic factors for neonates, so administration is the first one. Yeah. Um, most drugs, lots of drugs in neonatal intensive care anyway, are given IV. So that kind of bypasses because that's 100% bioavailability. Mm. But there are some things to think about. So 
we generally try and avoid I, the IM route because um, the um, well because it's low muscle mass it's painful um, the absorption is variable um, but we do we do do it for um, vitamin K and that's an important thing because it's actually got a depot effect and that's and it's better than giving it IV because you have to give it more often if you mm. if you give it IV um, or orally um, and then the other one is the skin so it's potentially in premature neonates it's too permeable um, mm. and if you use something like uh, normal strength chlorhexidine for for skin decontamination then um, you can the risk of chemical burns mm. um, so yeah and then distribution uh, so thinking in neonates about their probably about their water content and yeah. their relative amount of adipose tissue so between a, um, a an extremely premature neonate versus a, a well-grown term neonate um, there's a very large um, disparity there and so if there is a particularly lipophilic drug then it will go into the fat or a particularly water soluble drug then it will go into the water so there'll be more water the more premature the baby is. Mm. Um, for metabolism, it's the same. Neonates have the same metabolic pathways as as adults, but different efficiency and different relative efficiency of the different enzymes. So the cytochrome P450 activity in a neonate is about fifty to seventy percent of that in an adult. Mm. Um, but the different isoenzymes develop at different times. Um, and one thing to note is if, if you cool a baby for, say, um, therapeutic hypothermia for HIE, um, then that will slow down all the metabolic processes. Mm -hmm. So it's something that you don't, maybe okay. wouldn't think of, but the liver yeah. will not work as quickly. Um, you might want to start weaning down things earlier mm -hmm. um, because it will take longer for the baby to clear them. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and then excretion, we kind of talked about, but the renal function will be... Um, will be slower in the first day, few days and weeks. Um, yeah, so that's it probably from that side. Great, okay, so ADME. So we've got administration, def was it distribution. Def distribution, sorry, metabolism, and... Uh, excretion, excretion or elimination. <laughs> I'm never quite sure which one it is, but yeah. it's one of those it's two. It's essentially the same, yeah. thing, isn't it? That's really useful to remember. Um, And I just wanted to say thank you to both Sean and Tom for recording that for us. We'll leave it there for now and pick this episode up again next week. So join us next week for the remainder of this episode. Thank you for listening to Dragon Bites.